Hi everyone, I'm Ruth Wilkinson on Unleash Your Goddess. Welcome to today's podcast. I would like to welcome Sue Kelly to the show. One sentence sums her up, a ray of positive sunshine. Sue shares her journey through grief, a hysterectomy, a breakdown and attempted suicide. Then she got breast cancer last year on her on a road to recovery, her lung collapsed. Her positivity and outlook is absolutely mind-blowing, with the added fun of Beryl the Dancing Dinosaur thrown in. We're looking forward to finding out about that. Welcome, Sue. I'm really looking forward to hearing your journey. Um, what do you want to achieve from talking on the podcast today? Um, I just want to, I know this is an overused phrase, sort of be positive and smile and everything else. Um, So what I'd like to get out of this is that you can be positive and it's not a bad thing and it's not a cliche um, that you can get through what can be your darkest darks, your lowest lows. And although every now and again you sort of see the cliff and you sort of, yeah, I'm not going to jump it today, and you can come back from it. And um, if I can help just one person, then that's good. In them down moments, obviously we're going to go into those as we go through your journey, but in them down moments, do you just take one day at a time or do you look ahead? I guess I take one day at a time. Certainly... Um, there are times when you take it minute by minute, hour by hour, um, breath by breath, if you like. Um, And I think sometimes it's quite nice to plan a long way ahead so you've got something to look forward to. But then sometimes it's quite nice to, um, what's the word, allow yourself to go with the flow, to sort of think, okay, I've done today. What can we do tomorrow? And then just sort of see what happens. Do you feel it if someone's watching over you? Are you religious, spiritual? Always. I think they get very frustrated by me and give me kicks up the derriere and um, sort of say, hang on a minute, can you go this way? And I, and me being a closet rebel, I'll go, no, 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 I want to go this way. And they'll go, no, 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 you've got to go this way. <laughs> So it's up to us whether we listen or not, and that's probably why I've got hearing aids now. They're fed up with me not listening. <laughs> childhood, did you have a happy childhood? With hindsight, yes, it was a happy childhood, but there were moments of unhappiness. My sister will kill me for this, but I consider myself a Londoner, even though we moved out when I was a couple of days old. Um, we moved to, uh, where did we move to? Seven Kings, and then we moved to Essex. And so I've sort of, most of the childhood I can remember is in Essex, in Rochford, and then in Westcliff. I wasn't a well child, um, I think, and I've got no one to ask other than my sister. I think I had a form of epilepsy, which perhaps... In the late 50s, early 60s, they didn't particularly understand. And my sister said, I used to, when I was walking, so I don't know how old I've been, 18 months less than that, I'd suddenly stop and bend over and then fall over. So for the first few years of my life, I was up in Harley Street and all sorts of things, which I don't really remember. 
Um, but I can remember some revolting tasting medicine. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I think, you know, we went through the childhood diseases of measles and, and German measles and chicken pox. And I always seemed to be slightly worse than my friends. In that way, it was probably a lot of stress for my parents. Um, and then we found a doctor who gave me phenobarbitone and it seemed to clear. Did they have a fact it was epilepsy? Yeah, yeah, that's what they reckoned it was, but it could have been something else. The actual diagnosis was something called stomach migraine. So I don't know. I'm going to Google that afterwards. Yes. So you've been a teacher. Are you still a teacher? Not as the original teaching. Um, I was um, a primary school teacher and I now teach Tai Chi and Qigong. which I thoroughly enjoy. We'll we'll get into that later on. I'd like to know more about that. That's interesting. Yeah. What got you into your teaching years ago, into the primary school? Did you want to do that? Probably my sister. My sister was very, is, but she doesn't teach now, a very successful teacher. And I think when I was at school, I went to a grammar school, which wasn't fun. I I prefer fun. Um, and I probably didn't learn as well as I should have done. But, you know, you go with it at the time. I've got no regrets on that. And I just was chatting to her and I used to go into her classes, you know, during exam weeks and things like that. And I quite enjoyed the interaction with the children. So I think that started me off, really. That age, that age is lovely, isn't it, though? It is. They're, yes, they're little devils, but they if you can satisfy their curiosity or ping them off on, onto a path that you can see they want to go. And in fact, I was talking to an acquaintance of mine. I taught her daughter uh, more years ago than I care to remember. And she said something really nice and it, it put a little tear in my eye. She said, you know, you were the one that taught her the gift of language. And I have no idea how. And then the other teachers did the same. But she said, yeah, you were the one that started the, her on her gift of language, her, her love of language. Oh, that's lovely. Did you have children yourself? I am married. I've been married 40, hang on, 43 years. Oh, wow. um, I was told at the age of 18 that it would be very difficult for me to have children. My period stopped when I was 16 for no apparent real life, except for your mum going, are you pregnant? Yeah. No, I haven't done anything to get pregnant. We went, you know, we went to various doctors and I could have started um, IVF, but I did a month of the tablets it was at the time and I just felt so ill. I just thought, no. If I'm going to have children, if I don't have children, I don't. And um, my husband and I were on holiday in the south of France, and he came back with a a stomach infection and an ear infection, and I felt sick. (laughs) And we thought it was the same thing. And uh, eight months later, I had my daughter, our daughter. Yeah. A miracle, a miracle, baby. Yes, yes. I blame the full moon. So it can happen and sometimes you just got to bide your time. and Yes, and, you know, it's very sad for those that it doesn't happen for. Uh, my sister's never had children. She has stepchildren. Uh, my best friend's never had children. Sometimes it makes you feel sort of not guilty. I've I'm, I'm never felt guilty about having uh, our daughter. There's that little bit of, oh, I wish it could work for you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, a little bit of empathy and have mine, you know, when, when she's having the 
the toddler tantrums. She's 31 now, but you know, when you have the toddler tantrums, no, 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 have mine. Have you know. her, that's fine. Have her. <laughs> yeah. At least she hasn't had the illnesses that I've had. What's one thing that you wish you had known when you began your career as in teaching, looking back? Nothing. No. I guess because I wasn't expecting to have a child. I became a career teacher, if you like, probably working at the very, very limit of my abilities. And you sort of get, oh, you work with a a lovely team of people and they say, go, go up to the next level. And you go up to the next level and you think, shall I go up to the next level? And it would have been nice to have heard, probably somebody did say it, just be happy. If you're happy at what you're doing as a classroom teacher or, I don't know, um, whatever you're doing, whatever you're happiest doing, you don't have to move up the ladder. And I think because my sister was very successful in her teaching career um, and we come from a family that lived in the East End and always bettered themselves, this is going to sound weird, I think I had that feeling of growing up and and going into my career that if I didn't try to get to the very top, I wasn't a failure, but I hadn't tried. And I think with having uh, um, our daughter unexpectedly, I still had that, well, I've still got to get to the top. I'm still going to have to work full time with my daughter and my husband was very good and helped with childcare and things like that. Perhaps somebody tried (laughs) and I didn't listen, but you don't have to have it all. Yes. Yeah. Earlier you said that you couldn't ask your parents. Uh, So I'm presuming that they have, they passed on. Yes. My mum died when I was 20, uh, 1976 after she had ovarian cancer when I was 14. Um, and then she got secondary stomach cancer. So she was only 51. It was very difficult. I don't know whether it's it's a thing of the times and, you know, the people that are around you grow up differently. But I kept getting told, but you know your mum's dying. Why, what, why are you upset? Oh. You know, and you sort of go, okay, that's fine. <laughs> you just go... It was hard. It was hard. And I made it harder on myself. We lived in quite a nice little close and we had a front garden and a back garden. And I put a chair out for my mum in the front garden and I didn't put it out properly and it collapsed and she broke her hip and died. That was the August, September, October, died two months later. And you always feel a little bit of guilt for that. If only I put the chair out properly. But then you meet someone and they say she would have died anyway. She would have died anyway, yeah. You know, and, um, yeah. So, and then it was sad and she eventually ended up in hospital in London, uh, the Royal Masonic in Ravenscourt Park, which meant that because I was at college, I could go and visit her every day. And my dad worked in London. He came and lived in the flat with us. So he could visit her every day. Um, but it's still difficult. It's yeah. very odd when you lose a parent. Yes, it is. I think it's one of the hardest things, especially your mum. I've lost both my parents about five years ago now, four weeks apart. And I think oh, it's, gosh. Hard. It, it's hard. She's close to both of them. 
I was closer to my mum than my dad. My dad worked very long hours and had quite a commute to work. And he often worked late and he moved to Birmingham for 18 months. Um, We'd go up and see him. He'd come down. Um, But there were little sort of extra women around all through my sisters and my childhood. So um, there was always that um, sniffy moment (laughs) Um, where you think, actually, you know, I know why you did it but you could have done, been a bit yes. not discreet because my mum was very, very good at wheedling out information, extremely good, scarily good. And um, I know why she stayed. It's, dif- you know, it's difficult to leave, but, you know, you sort of think you've made our lives a little more difficult than perhaps they could have been. Yes. Um, but it's not you, – you get over that feeling – of your parents being selfish because you know they've done the best for you. And I, I was chatting to my sister a couple of years ago, and my dad was in the RAF. And I think he had quite a, I mean, it's in the war, um, but I still think he enjoyed quite a glamorous life of this, not knowing whether you were going to come back. He was on a Lang, on Lancaster bombers. And he wanted to be a pilot when he came out, but his eyesight wasn't good enough. So I think he may have always had this slight disappointment of I wanted to be this, but I couldn't be. So I've tried to be the best I can, which takes me away from my family, which means my family don't um, interact with me enough. So I'm going to find somebody else to interact with. Do you know what I mean? Yes, yeah, yeah. It's no excuse, though, is it? But yes, yeah. Um, no, I can see why people do it. I think yeah. it's something, it's one of the things I've asked myself um, just before he died. He got remarried, and sadly, Wendy died um, of cancer as well. Oh, wow. I just saw him go to pieces. When you get to the age we are now, which is 60 odd, my dad was 51, 52 when my mum died. Which is no age at all. It helped me understand a little bit, but I certainly wasn't as close with him as I was my mum. I think you understand more as you become an adult yourself and go through things, don't you? You understand more what your parents went through and how they dealt with and things like that. More understanding. There was a time when the stress of work got too much. I went back to work full time after Steph was born because teaching then was a lovely job and although we still had to work through the holidays you know we thought okay the childcare is going to be this much we can still you know pay our mortgage and everything else but it didn't work out like that um the job changed when the national curriculum came in and I was always on the back foot and I couldn't give the hours that I devoted to it because I had to pick daughter up go home absolutely knackered and the head um, that I was with was quite understanding and Steph had um, you know when you take them for their checkups and things like that she had um, a failing to thrive although you know she seemed to be okay the the, uh, doctor just said well can you go part-time so I went to Philip and said can I go part-time he said yes that's not, not a problem so for two terms I went part-time. I think I went 
I think... Can I just go back to your daughter? What about failing to survive? Failing to thrive. And what is that? It means she's not putting weight on enough and, um, yeah, I think that's it, just not putting on enough weight and things. So I went part-time and I absolutely adored it, even though it was still hard, but it meant that I could do things with Steph and I could do things with work as well and it worked quite nicely but I couldn't stay part-time so to cut a long story short that head uh, retired and we had a new head and then Ofsted started and we had a pre-Ofsted for some inexplicable reason again it'll probably be these that guide guide me we did we used to do class assemblies and I did this assembly and it really didn't work I don't know why it got to um a sort of quiet word, well, that sounded a little bit racist. And I said, no, it wasn't. I'm, I'm not. I'm not aware that I was, but I didn't think I was. Um, and then I was put on, a, it's, an, it, it's a, called a discipline charge, but it's not that I was doing anything wrong. It was that I was <laughs> failing to teach, perhaps. And it just got harder and harder. And during that time, my mother-in-law died. So I had to have a little bit of time off for that, to go down to Devon for the funeral and things. And when I came back, I just thought, I really don't want to be here anymore. Um, I'd had a hysterectomy in the summer of 95. Gone back to work too. Yeah. yeah, Gone back to work too early. Mother-in-law died. I can't, I think it was the October. Um, in the January, I had to um, have uh, an HRT implant because I'd had, they'd put one in at the hysterectomy and they said, yours has run out too quickly. You need another one. Never did get it. I just sat there crying for 45 minutes. The nurse came in, said, what's wrong? And I told her everything because work was really hard. You know, I was being watched and I was... You know, you could see, I could just feel stuff. Then the gynecologist came in and he said, you know, the nurses said, blah, blah, blah. What can you do about it? What would you want to do? And I said, I don't want to go back. And he said, well, don't. So I didn't. (laughs) And that was, I cannot remember my journey home the day before. Um, I know it was snowing and it was unpleasant journey. Um, I have no idea how I got home. And from the day that the doctor said, just don't go back, he said, go and see your GP. So my GP signed me off for two weeks, two months, and so on. And slowly got better. I did have some very, very low moments. Um, My sister came and helped, where you just want to hide under the duvet. Um, I was in the kitchen one night cooking for Peter and Steph, and he he came in and said, I think you need to put that knife down because it was here on my wrist. And I actually don't remember it being there. All I can remember is thinking, and I think everyone thinks this, they'd all be better off without me. I'm just a wreck. I've caused issues with my daughter. I've caused issues with my husband. I don't want to dwell on this bit, but I will say it. 
my daughter was being emotionally abused by the child mother. <laughs> and I didn't see it. Well, you do see it. You know, the, the, she didn't want to go to the childminder, but you have to go to work. Yeah. And this is 29 years still. Oh, bless. If I could give you a hug, I would. I know, I know. I'll be okay. And um, so with everything, and this was before the breakdown, it obviously attributed to it. So the police were involved and they came to me at work and you, you sort of think, what the, can I swear? Yes, go on. <laughs> what the fuck is going on? Yes, yes. Anyway, so we then found a childminder. Well, I looked after her as much as I could. We found a childminder closer to home. Um, and after sort of, you know, you, you sort of think, I've caused all this, but I haven't caused it. No, Circumstance has caused it. And I had a fabulous team. I had my doctor who got me a counsellor. I don't even think you get the level of counselling that I had at that time. I think I had 10 weeks. What would you say to somebody that's gone through the same and is going through at the moment through the same? If you can, hang in there. I know it sounds trite, um, but it's such an emotional time. Your emotions are tumbling everywhere and all I did was sleep but if you've got somebody behind you even if you haven't got somebody behind you there will be somebody that you can reach out to and I think that's why some of these groups that you get on Facebook walk the mind in particular yours in particular uh, the breast cancer sites the cancer sites anything else are actually quite useful you've got this net of people that you may never see, but they won't judge you. They'll just go, I can't know, I don't know what you're going through because I'm not you, but I've done this and this has worked. Yes. And then, you know, you sort of go through it like that. Um, but my, my, my team behind me were fabulous. So in 2019, you found out you had breast Do you know what? It sounds like I've been tumbling from crisis to crisis <laughs> to crisis, but I haven't. I've gone into them with arms open. Uh, yes, that was odd. Um, I, they're not sure when it started. I think I'd had a mammogram the year before and it had showed up. But I knew, you know, you get a feeling of something that's not quite right. And I turned over in bed and it felt like I'd laid on a, a, a Lego brick. Other bricks are available, but it felt like a Lego yeah, brick. Yeah. And it was a weekend when I was training and I was meant to be doing um, some assessments as well. And it just so happened that I couldn't do the assessments because my teacher didn't have time to do them. And so all weekend I was thinking, oh, crap, you know, I can't do anything till Monday. I had, a, I had my friend's birthday party to go to, so I went to that. Actually, that was quite nice. Sunday, I had the training. Sunday evening, my husband and I were sitting there going, okay, let's see what happens tomorrow. And I said, I know what's going to happen tomorrow. And the, the doctor I saw said, yes, it feels odd. A week later, 
I went to the one-stop clinic in Winchester. We are so lucky with our hospitals around here. I know they're busy. I know they're annoying. But, you know, we are so lucky with the expertise we have. And um, she said, yes, it feels like cancer. I had a mammogram. I had biopsies. The lady who, oh, and an ultrasound. And she said, it looks like it's in three lymph nodes as well. So I said, oh, okay, it's Myrtle and her three fairies. <laughs> so, um, and within a month, I'd had my lumpectomy and my node clearance. Um, I do have lymphedema, which means this arm is slightly more swollen than that one, but I'm getting rid of that. Um, I then had to have my part of my tumour sent off. I didn't have to. We paid for it for what's called an onco test to see if I could avoid chemotherapy, and I couldn't. Uh, it came back as 48, which I think is it's not high because it's not to 100. Yeah. Um, and if you get 25 or under, you can sometimes avoid chemo. So I thought, okay, well, we'll go into this and... Um, we started in January. I was on something called FEC-T, which is filgastrin, epirubicin. Can't remember the C because I didn't have it. And I have no idea what the T was. Yeah. <laughs> so the epirubicin is the chemotherapy. I was meant to have it with another drug, but because I've only got one kidney, 1979, there you go, another crisis. Actually, that one was quite interesting. I couldn't have that. Then you have the filgastrin injections, which are the work of the devil, um, to bring your white blood cell count up. And it feels, I only had this on one, I, I had it for four sessions, well, three and a half. Um, but the first session, it feels as if someone's got your head like this, just below your spine, you're at the top of the spine. Somebody's pulling your legs. So imagine a medieval rack. Yeah. And then right in the middle of your back, there's somebody with a chisel and a hammer going like this. You yeah. probably feel it as well, similar, um, trying to put extra vertebrae in. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I don't know what other people will think of this. I, I do like natural remedies, but I'm happy to do the pharmaceutical stuff as well. I used hot water bottles. I used something called Sangushwe oil which is like a, um, it's called bone setters lotion. And it's like a liniment, a bit like Voltarol, but without oh, the yeah. painkillers. Yeah. And it stinks. Um, and I had no painkillers. Wow. I did it with breathing, with hot water bottles, with my husband holding my hand. I mean, he came home, he went skiing. I said, just go, you know, I'll be fine for the first few days. Uh, my first chemo it was I'll be fine for the first few days because I've got my friend with me then my sister's coming down and the day he came back this started I said I'm not doing this on purpose um but yeah so and then after my fourth chemo which was the 20th of March um all was going well that was going to be my last one and then I was going to go on weekly ones and lockdown was the Monday, and on the Tuesday, my lung decided to collapse. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so I ended up in hospital, not really understanding what COVID and lockdown was all about. 
Um, but I was on oxygen and I came home and it was nice and sunny and it was nice and quiet. My daughter couldn't live with us because she'd been to the Philippines and my oncologist had said, uh, if she can, can she go and live away from you for two weeks, just in case she's picked up anything on the plane, yeah. you know, not thinking of COVID or anything like that, just, you know, you get the plane, things like that. Yeah. And so she went to live with her boyfriend in the March and she came back in the September. Oh, wow. So it was an interesting time and I just loved it. What was the hardest part about it all? Emotionally, throughout my cancer diagnosis, I became hyper-organized. I had a list. I sat down and I said, okay, Peter, so what days are bad for you? We know we've got to have this. We know we've got to have this. We don't know what days the chemo is going to be. When I have my lumpectomy, I'll ask Darren to come down. I'll ask my sister to come down so you can still go to work and all that. I became so hyper-organized. I've still got the book. Some, I'm not getting it out. I've still got the book of the days of the week that my friends could take me to uh, chemotherapy wow. and the days of the week that my friends could take me to radiotherapy. And then, of course, we couldn't do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but all through, I just thought, after having sort of spoken to you a little bit on, on Messenger, I think when you've been through a variety of different pushes, nudges, things like that. You sort of go, all right, I'm going to listen now. What is this? And it was to regain my joy in life. And I have. Um, I've become the person that I was. You know, they say when you reach 60, you have a second childhood. Yeah. I think I've gone back to that person who went to college to teach a train and have bloody good, a really good time. And I'm not saying that I haven't still got responsibilities and, and things like that. And there are still things that worry me. But I, I said to my um, surgeon, she said, well, are you worried about reoccurrence? I said, no. She said, why not? I said, I've had one child. I've had one kidney removed. It can only happen once, please. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. You know, and, and does it help you uh, appreciate life more and enjoy the small? Yes, the, yes, it does. It allows you to, and and it's it's all the cliches, isn't it? Um, it allows you to realize um, that you can overcome anything. Yeah, yeah. And on the, the breast cancer site that I'm on, that I've had a huge amount of support from, people say, I want to be the person I was before. And I go, I don't. No. I don't want to be that person who was not necessarily angry, but frustrated. I wasn't, you know, I got over some things. I don't want to be that person who saw the negative before she saw the positive. I want to see the positive first. I don't want to be that person who goes, oh, all right, I'll do it if I have to. I want to be the person that goes, actually, do you know, I can't do that that day, but I can do it this day. And that's what I'm trying or succeeding, I should say, in doing. I mean, there are days when I go, yeah, I just want to stay under the duvet or I just want to. But for me... The lockdown part of recovering with cancer and 
<laughs> the collapsed lung, has been great because I couldn't do anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so you do other things instead. Yeah. Yeah. So then you started the Facebook, Beryl the Dancing Dinosaur. Can you tell <laughs> I did. About that? Oh, is that, is that Beryl, she's lovely. I'm just planning her next um, soirees, shall we say. Beryl was given to me by an absolutely wonderful friend called Evelyn. We've only met a couple of times in real life, but she and my daughter have a love of comic con, you know, comic cons and yeah. things like that. And so I'm sort of go between be them and then between them, and they have arguments about Marvel films and things like that. And I'll say to Steph, Evelyn says, and Steph will go, no, 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 you've got to tell her this. And Evelyn will go, no, 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 you've got to tell her this. And it's hilarious. And we were having a conversation just before I went into hospital because um, of going through chemo and everything else. And I knew the next lot of chemo might be a little bit harder. And she said, well, look, this, there's this lockdown's come, you know, the apocalypse is here. And I said, well, I can see you dressed as Xena, warrior princess or someone like that. And she said, what about you? And I said, oh, I'd be a dinosaur. (laughs) (laughs) So she bought me this dinosaur suit and it gave me something to do every day. I mean, Peter, my husband, would have to help me into the suit and and do it up. And I could only do a couple of steps because it's quite hot in there. And then I could do a little bit more. And then someone said, oh, have have you thought about doing this? Oh, and I'd walk into the front. We've got a driveway, which you weren't meant to. You had to stay in the back. So I walked into the front with my PPE on. And I went to visit the little boy next door because he saw me out of the window and goes, mummy, mummy, dinosaur. And um, it sort of built up from there that I'd dance a day. It actually got to the point where I was thinking, I can't think of any more tunes that I can dance to. So (laughs) my friend Marie said, well, what about all these? So I look them up on YouTube and we do. it wouldn't be anything to dance, you know, John Travolta and things like that. But it was fun. And um, it got me moving. And because I wasn't worried about my breathing, I wasn't worried about anything else, it made me happy and it made others happy, which I think is is part of our role in life as well. And then I went to some of my appointments dressed as Beryl and then word got round and I had to, when I had my radiotherapy, they said, are you Beryl? And I said, yes. She said, please come in your, please come dressed as the dinosaur. It will cheer us all up. And, you know, it just blossomed from there. And I'm very grateful to Beryl. And now Beryl's on tour. Um, So I've been to a couple of places. Uh, She doesn't do as much as she did. Did you raise money? Not particularly. Um, We were at a golf club um, hotel, and I just wanted to play a little bit of golf. And they gave me, I think, 20, 30 pounds, and I donated it to a local charity there. But what it has done, I think, is... Well, I know it's done it for two people. It's got people thinking about, oh, perhaps I ought to check myself. Yeah. You know, yeah. when I was on BBC South and I and um, was saying about how I'd found this and how it hadn't shown up on mammograms and things like that, I've been stopped in Alton and said, oh, we saw you. I got myself checked. I was okay, but I got yeah. myself checked, you know, and... <laughs> 
Yes, uh, but, and also Beryl causes great embarrassment to my husband and my daughter, so I do it even more. And um, oh, lovely. Yeah, she's lovely. been on the train at Waterloo now yeah. on the way home. That's lovely. Yeah. What makes you feel inspired, other other than Beryl? <laughs> other than Beryl, <laughs> yeah. Um, do you know my inspirations are my husband and my daughter? Yeah, she's been through some dark times with work and living away from home and coming home and living away from home and coming home and living away from home and coming home and hopefully living away from home again. Peter's just been wonderful. Um, annoying. You can't do this. Why not? Well, because you'll fall over. Oh, that doesn't matter. I'll just pick myself up. And she's been, because she wasn't around, she's actually been very good in that she would, we text each other and just have a little chat not very much but there'd be contact every day and because she was on furlough you know you have more time but I just find with with Stephanie with everything she's gone through most of which she won't remember which was why I was concerned about saying it to ups and downs that she's gone through with boyfriends and jobs and circumstance she bounces back. So if she's got that side from me, I'm quite happy. Yes, yes. And then Peter's just done so well with his business and difficult times and easier times and me being ill and never wavering from the view that I had was that, well, we'll get through this, you know. Definitely. I mean, he has to put up with me being a dinosaur and he's my film editor and... <laughs> things like that and he does get terribly terribly embarrassed but I don't <laughs> but care <laughs> he still does it and he's still supportive he still does it you know there have been times when both of them have said no we are not going to do that <laughs> I can't remember what it was now but they put up with me you yes. know and, and I think they're grateful to do so just in case I hadn't been here yes yes and then sort of other my my Best friend inspires me. My sister inspires me. I think the people around you are the ones that can inspire you more than anybody else. And I inspire myself. Yeah, no, that's good. And that's nice to hear. Even though some people might go, oh, God, it's her again. You know. <laughs> I know you're loving I have put into practice everything that I've said to other people. Yeah. Oh, you know, you've got a headache. You know, do try this, try that. And so I thought, well, I've done all these things. Perhaps I ought to try them. And I think the biggest, biggest thing for me throughout, so I, throughout my, my depression, my suicidal feelings, coming up from that, having a daughter, and that wasn't an easy birth. I tried to leave the planet again with that. And then having the breast cancer, everything I've learned in between, I thought, okay, Perhaps I ought to practice what I preach a bit more now. And I have to say the Tai Chi and the Qigong have kept me going. Yes. Could you tell us more about that? What exactly is that? Um, so Tai Chi and Qigong are very similar practices. They come from the same root, if you like. Uh, tai Chi is a martial art, but has come over to the West, oh gosh, in the 60s, I think. And it's very graceful and it's very slow moving. And it's sort of from the soft comes the strength. Yeah. Um, tai Chi Chuan actually um, translates as shadow boxing or ulti supreme ultimate fist, things like that. 
Um, but to do it, as, as I've learned to and as I've now been taught to and everything else and practice, is that it can calm every single part of your body. I had the lumpectomy a week later, I was back at work, had to have people drive me. And every time I've gone back to the surgery or the doctors or the gynecologist, they said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm doing Tai Chi. And they go, what's that? And I show them, go, will you teach it to us? So I'm teaching at Maggie's Qigong. And I am meant to be doing a wellness day, but of course, COVID came. So I'm not sure whether that will happen, but hopefully it will. And the Qigong, so the Tai Chi concentrates on your own self-defense, if you like, your, your own way of feeling, the, the way that you concentrate on things. And um, the Qigong is a little bit more static. We're still moving our arms and our legs and our eyes and everything else. But you focus within a lot more. Yeah. Um, and that's why... That's how I know that I have breast cancer because it felt different when I was doing it. You know, arms up, arms down, arms out, whatever we were doing. And I think Tai Chi and Qigong gives you that focus and it's made me, people might not agree with this, but for me, it's made me more aware of people's feelings. They may not always act on it, Um and it certainly made me more aware of how I feel. Also, all the other things that I've had. But it makes me more aware of how I feel and I smile more. Does it make you stop? Yes. Calm the mind, calm yes. the body and take that yeah. time out? For the, for the hour that I'm teaching, the hour and a half that I'm teaching, or for the five minutes that when we do the sets ourselves, you think of nothing else. And so I found it a most excellent way of keeping myself going. And although I may not look fit, you know, I've got the double chins and the big belly and everything else, I do feel healthier. I, I think I was at a healthier level when I started this than when than I would have been, that when I started my depression and breakdown more than depression. I knew about Tai Chi, but it wasn't the right time. Yes. Tai Chi yes. came afterwards to bring me back up to where I am now, yeah. Yeah. which is a completely bonkers old woman. Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. You become your authentic self, which is... I think so, yes. I think as we get older, we do, don't we? We don't mind so much what other people think. So I'm going to move into the quickfire question. Do you have any regrets? None whatsoever. Two songs you can't live without. Oh, Firework by Katy Perry and Nights in White Satin. One, uh, uh, who are they? So, uh, Moody Blue. Was it Moody Blues? Nights in White Satin. That because it reminds me of who I was when I was growing up. And Firework because it reminds me of who I am now. And my daughter. Yeah. Oh, lovely. Where do you find inspiration? All around me. Lovely. What makes you smile? <laughs> people Beryl <laughs> little things yeah yeah what advice would you give to someone going through breast cancer right now keep at it make sure that there are 
people you can talk to. Never, ever, ever be afraid of talking to your team, your breast care nurses, your surgeon, your oncologist, even if you think it's trivial. Oh, there's a spot there that I haven't noticed before. Talk to them about it. That's what they're there for. They've seen it all. They've done it all. They've had nervous wrecks. They've had nervous wrecks. They've had dinosaurs. And don't be afraid to talk about it. And breathe. 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 (laughs) What's your favourite book? (laughs) The Grand Sophie by Georgette Hayer. And what's that about? It's a Regency romance in Bath. And it's about a terror... I mean, it's... It's probably not very politically correct now. It's about this wonderfully independent, wealthy woman who hasn't got time for men, and then she finds one that's her equal. Oh, oh, that's (laughs) lovely. What do you wish you had known when you was 18? Nothing. Nothing. You're happy. I'm quite happy with how everything's turned out. That's that's brilliant. That's lovely. Well, that's that's, that's a lovely way to end it today. Yeah. Let's put yes. it on a positive note. I mean, it's all been very positive today, even on your your loans. Yeah. It's been positive, and and it's been been lovely to be talking to you. Really yes, has. I am. Um, the BBC said I am a ray of positive sunshine, you and it it is actually genuine. You know, I do have my dark times, but it's too much energy. It's much easier to smile, even though you have seen me in tears today. It's much easier to smile than it is to be. That's right, yeah. But you're allowed to be both. It's a positive mindset, isn't it? Absolutely. It certainly helps. We'd like to thank Sue for coming on today and for sharing her story. A story of tragedies after tragedy. But through them, Sue found the strength to carry on and still smile. I know this story will help so many of our listeners to know that they're not alone. You can stand and face the storms in your life. You may get knocked down, but you can get up again and carry on. Just carry on and don't give up. Thank you once again, Sue. We look forward to our next podcast. See you then.